0: here with us, especially if you're here as a guest or for the first time. My name is Owen the Minister in Charge. It's great to have you as a part of our gathering uh, this morning, and I look forward to meeting you later over tea and coffee. Um, This morning what we're going to be doing is starting into a new eight-week teaching series which is going to take us throughout the months of July and August, and it's designed to help us to do a little bit of a study together. uh, to look at the kinds of people that Jesus met and what their conversations would like, were like and what we can learn from that. So um, this will give you a little bit of an idea of uh, what we're going to be looking at. Here are some of the conversations that we're gonna be listening into. We're gonna be uh, looking at what Jesus, uh, his dialogue with people at the, the wedding of Cana from John chapter two. We're gonna look at what Jesus says in the, in the boat to the disciples in Mark chapter four, in the calming of the storm the story of the officer's servant in Matthew chapter 8, the blind beggar, and he was healed in Luke 18, the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, the story of the paralyzed man being healed in Mark chapter 2, and then Luke's, rather Matthew 14, and the story that we see there of Jesus walking on the water. So we're going to have a look at two stories from each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, starting today with Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and the story of the the story of the miraculous catch of fish. So if you've got one of the red Bibles, um, the church Bibles open, uh, make your way to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Or if you're more comfortable reading your Bible on your phone, we're okay with that. Take it out and have a look. Helena's going to come and do our reading for us.
1: The first disciples one day as jesus was preaching on the shore of the sea of galilee great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of god he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets stepping into one of the boats jesus asked simon its owner to push it out into the water so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, "'O Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you.' For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid from now on you'll be fishing for people and as soon as they landed they left everything and followed jesus
0: let's pray lord we want to thank you for these words um, that we've just heard read we pray that in the same way that you inspired luke to write them we pray that you would inspire our hearts and minds as we reflect on them together. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love this passage. Uh, I always have. The, 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 the very first sermon I preached uh, was, uh, well, from, from, and from this exact same space about 20 or so years ago, was on the words that we've just heard read for us. And I feel like I've been wrestling with it ever since, if I'm honest. Uh, preaching on it probably more than I've taught on any other biblical text and whether or not that's obvious by the time I'm done you'll just have to let me know or maybe don't. But it's such a powerful passage of scripture and it has all kinds of hidden depths to it in different ways, different angles to approach it from. And, and before diving into some of the specifics that I prepared to teach on, um, I want to just give a few minutes, I think it's worth doing, just some brief overview. This text is full of all kinds of images and themes. Obviously there's the theme of discipleship and calling. We see that in the, the title, and we get that from the last two lines from the text itself, seeing that, that, that moment where they come back to the shore and they leave everything to follow Jesus. Then there's the interesting theme of popularity Luke kind of goes to great lengths, I think, to to kind of create this picture of sorts, of people pressing into Jesus. And there's this idea of hunger, people wanting to hear the word of God. And then we get a a few pairings. There's there's the pairing of the the imagery of the empty boats, and then there's the, and with that, the the, the picture of the full boats. There's this idea, there's, there's this pairing of fullness, and emptiness, and the second pairing is the depths and the shallows. And, and, and Luke isn't just being matter-of-fact about it. I think he, there's this sense in which he wants us to be kind of locating ourselves in the text. Where are we? Are we in the shallows in terms of our faith? Or are we out in the deep places? One of the interesting pieces here as well is the theme of obedience. That, those infamous words, because you say so, I will. And then moving on, if you look at verse 7, if you've got the text open in front of you, is this interesting theme of asking for help. They've got exactly what they wanted. Fishermen want a boat full of fish. But in this scenario, they have so much, such an abundance, that they need to ask for help. Then there's the idea of making room for Jesus in what we have. In the same way Simon is, makes room for Jesus in his boat. Then there's the question and the theme of what does it mean to fish for people and then alongside of that there's what Jesus says about fear. But with that and, and, and alongside of that all those themes and ideas is a fascinating conversation and that's what I want us to major our focus on today. And with that lens in mind, that conversational lens in mind, I want us to return to the text. So if you've got it open in front of you, we're going to start at verse three. Now, it might be, maybe you, you depending on the type of Bible you've got open in front of you, this isn't, for some reason, a red letter text, but it's Jesus speaking. So I have still felt that we needed to, uh, sit, you know, to signal that and to have a look at it. We're told that Jesus stepping into the boat says to Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. Now this is interesting. One of the first things I wanted to highlight today is that this isn't the first time that Simon and Jesus have met. If we take just a few moments to go back to chapter four of Luke's gospel, verse 38, if you've got it there in front of you. What we see there is that Jesus has already been to the centre of Simon's world. He's already been to his family home and met his wife and his mother-in-law, who he has mirac- Jesus has miraculously healed, and who knows, maybe met his children too. Uh, if he had any, we don't know. But what we do know from a background point of view is that Sabbath, which is the backdrop for this part of um, chapter four of of Luke's Gospel, is that Sabbath in Jesus' day was when people went together for morning worship, which ended around noon. And afterwards, they would have left the synagogue and gone back to their homes and often invited guests to join them. So after they left the synagogue that day, Jesus goes home with Simon. I love that. There's something about this story today in chapter 5 that we're looking at, focusing on, that started that day after Jesus goes home after being in the synagogue. Maybe even something about the conversation we're listening in on here that started that day when Jesus first met Simon. Something about Simon's home life signaled something to Jesus, that not only was he the kind of person that he should call to be a disciple, but someone who would ultimately go on to be one of the fathers of the church around the world. It's quite phenomenal, really. But I wonder, and this is just the way my mind works, what did he see in Simon's home life that inspired him to call him? What do you think Jesus sees in your home life so they they knew each other that's not the point I'm trying to make the point I'm trying to make is because they knew each other Jesus knew what Simon did okay he knew what his livelihood was and still you could argue issues this quite bizarre request if you, it's in verse 4. If you want to turn there again with me, please do. Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. The carpenter is dishing out advice to the fisherman. Oh, I'm not sure that's a good idea. Simon's response, if you look at it, the text in front of you, it starts out as you might, uh, you might expect, although we're kind of forced to imagine the tone in his voice. There's two parts to this. Master, Simon begins, which is respectful, right? Remember, they've already met. He's already seen and witnessed Jesus healing somebody in his family already. He knows that Jesus is someone of high status, but you can imagine his frustration. The tone in his voice, like I said, we've worked hard all night, and we've caught nothing. Now I've read some of the commentaries on this. It might be helpful, it's worth pointing out. People didn't fish during the day at this time. They weren't fishing at night because they tried all the previous day and it failed and they were trying to make up time. They were out doing what they wanted to do, what they, what they were used to doing at the time they would normally do it. This isn't some kind of desperate pressure that they're under that Jesus is speaking into. But if you say so, I will. These are probably some of the most important words that we'll hear this morning. Just look at verse five if you've got the text open with me. Simon's words here, I think, have echoed through the ages to meet our ears today. And this moment of surrender changed everything and brings all kinds of new possibilities within reach. But what's the lesson? Is it just that having Jesus in the boat makes fishing easier? Is that, is that what we think? I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that's the case. This is about way more than Fishing. And I think that's why Simon is so unsettled. There's something much deeper going on here. Jesus has been to his home, and now Jesus has stepped into his business, and he's performed miracles in both places. If you've got, I've got the text open in front of you, verse eight is where we pick up on the next piece of dialogue. The word master and that respect from verse five is replaced by these words. The phrase, O Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. What happened? What changed? Where's that come from? For years I've wrestled with this question. What is it? I've wondered where has this sense of being so inadequate or undeserving come from? It, it, it appears in the text, I was trying to think about how to describe this, it's like someone screeching on their brakes in front of you on the M50 when you're both driving at full speed. It just feels like it just all of a sudden this huge shift comes into the text. Jesus hasn't said anything about sin or sinfulness. So what's going on? I want to make a simple suggestion for us this morning. I wanna suggest that at this breakthrough moment in Simon's life, at this breakthrough moment, he experiences a form of spiritual warfare in in, in the shape of of a negative presenting thought. Spiritual warfare in the form of a presenting thought. Now, who knows what it sounded like inside his head? All we have to go on is what he says out loud. Maybe it sounded like, you're not good enough. You don't belong. This isn't for you. If Jesus knew what you're really like, he wouldn't want to have anything to do with you, Simon. Have you ever had any thoughts like that? Everyone's breaking eye contact. It's just me. (laughs) My mind gets full of all kinds of negative presenting thoughts. You're no good at this. You're a terrible dad. You're this. You're that this isn't going to work. You should be afraid. I'll sometimes i will be standing here in church in the front row in, trying to connect with God and with the people around me and my mind will get full of all kinds of thoughts. You're a terrible pastor. This isn't going to work. Nobody's re- You're not what people want in a pastor. The church isn't going to grow. People aren't going to come to faith. You're just on your own. And the list goes on, I was talking to somebody else about this in the church um, this past week, and he was saying how he had been in a situation recently where someone in his family had become very ill, and he was being told about this by another family member, and out of nowhere, right there in the middle of the conversation, he has this immediate presenting thought, that's gonna happen to you too, you're gonna get sick like that as well, out of nowhere. But just because we experience a negative presenting thought about ourselves or, our, or others, it doesn't mean that it's true. Just because we have a, a, an experience of a negative ex- presenting thought about ourselves or others, it doesn't mean that we have to accept it or come under it or agree with it. In fact, we need to learn how to identify them and to combat them, especially at moments of breakthrough in our lives, to see them for what they really are, to not give them airtime, but bring them to God instead in prayer, and allow him to speak over us the truth of who he says we are, and praying those words and promises into being. And with that, we need to learn to bring these presenting thoughts into the light of community, and to hear from others how they see us, to be honest and to be vulnerable and say, you know what, sometimes I think this about myself. You know what, sometimes I feel like this is who I am. And we need the, the, the power of community and connection around us to say, no, that's not, that's not the case. That's not who you are. That's not true about God. When our minds are filled with doubt and uncertainty and we're, we're struggling with the ambiguity of life all around us, we need people around us who says, no, that's not the case. You're much better than that. Now, that's not consistent with how God's spoken to you in the past. I wonder are you, are you doing that? Are you going to God? Are you allowing negative thoughts too much airtime? Are you bringing them to God? Are you bringing them into the light of community where those accusations can be put to bed? And because we have the connection with other people, we can go, not, I'm, not, I'm choosing not to come under that, not to agree with that, and not to believe in it. Let's get back to our story. So Jesus has no intention whatsoever of leaving Simon alone, like this presenting thought has said. Go away from me, he says. But Jesus isn't going to leave him on his own. In fact, it's the total opposite. With Jesus, it's always the opposite, and Jesus speaks right to the heart of the matter. There's there's two pieces to this. To start with, he says, he says this. And I, I find this fascinating the words, do not be afraid. Have you heard that ever, anywhere before? The amount of times the scriptures speak about do not be afraid. Fear not. It's hundreds, I've looked into it this week, hundreds and hundreds of times where God speaks to people and says, do not be afraid. Why do you think that is? Because we have this propensity to fear and to to believe those narratives and scripts that present in our heads that that must be true. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe God isn't reliably for me. Maybe I really am on my own in life. Don't be afraid. One, um, one post I was reading today, uh, the other day, was suggesting that there's 365 mentions of fear in the, in the Bible, one for every day in the year. Now, I'm not entirely sure. What, you, know, you might want to go home and do the count. I'm not entirely sure about that, but I think this, oh, the overwhelming evidence is that this stuff is in there. We can see it in the scriptures. We know that Jesus' own mother Mary... Has these words spoken to her at Jesus' conception? And if you scroll down the list, you see the names of Joshua, Isaiah the prophet, Daniel, and even Abraham get added to the list. So, what's Jesus trying to communicate here to Simon? In this moment where he's triggered and he's obviously heard some kind of a presenting thought that made him feel like he was an outsider in that moment, not an insider. What Jesus says is, you're going to be tempted to think this way, that that you can't do this. You're going to be tempted to think that you can't live for me. You're going to be tempted to think that you can't trust me and that I'm not for you. You're going to be tempted to think that you're unworthy. You're going to be tempted to think that you don't belong, but you do. And I am good and I am reliably for you. Later, Jesus will go on to say, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's where the rest of what Jesus says lands. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. What does Jesus mean by that? He's saying, I'm not going to leave you high and dry. You're not on your own. I want you to be with me. I want you to be doing the kind of things that I'm doing about my father's business which is summed up neatly in the phrase that Jesus uses repeatedly throughout the New Testament, the kingdom of God. I want you to join with me in my work of recreation, of redeeming all things to uh, myself. And it starts with you. It starts in you. Don't be afraid. Now, if this was Netflix, which it's not, I'd, I'd I'd press next episode, To see where everything ends up right but we don't get any exact details at this point the passage ends luke ends it in a, a neat summary of sorts luke tells us that that they left everything everything they left everything and followed him this is after all the passage that luke is writing to tell us about jesus calling people to follow him with their lives but I'm curious what about what about you I'd love you to just to take a minute turn to the person beside you and just tell them one thing that struck you most from the reading or what we've been uh, discussing and we'll come back together in just a moment one thing just share one thing that's really struck you from this morning Let's uh, draw those conversations to a close. I wanna encourage you to pick them up later over tea and coffee. Let's stand together. If the band could come back up. We're gonna use the song to help us to respond uh, in a moment uh, as we wait on God and ask him to speak to us. But I'd love us if we just allow ourselves a moment, a few moments just to be still together uh, as we pray and invite God's presence just to minister to us um, as we bring what struck us to Him now in prayer. Lord, we thank you for um, the depths of this text and for the way that it challenges us today. Uh, Thank you for these the the words of this conversation and for uh, our ability to listen in on it together this morning. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come now, and we we just give our yes to you, our our surrender, just as we come before you now, we, we invite you to speak, and to bring your healing and your wholeness.
1: Come, Holy Spirit.